this is the anniversary of when the Rebbe became the Rebbe of Chabad for his generation. And there was the day his father-in-law passed away, the previous Rebbe, and it's an automatic inheritance to the one who ends up being the Rebbe. And a year later, he officially took on the title of Rebbe, but as Hasidim understand it, it happens right away. So this day is a very special day in terms of the power of that connection of the Hasidim with the Rebbe, with the Moshe Rabbeinu of the generation. So this is a powerful day to connect. So I thought instead of doing our regular Chumash, we would do the uh, talk, a essay by the Rebbe on the Parsha, having to do with a theme the Rebbe talked about many times, which is faith in God and trust in God. And as we'll see, those two things, faith and trust, even though they sound very similar, are actually different. And that is partially what this class is going to be about. So let us dive right in. This comes from a... Uh, essay of the Rebbe printed in volume 26 of his uh, set called Likute Sichot. It's a 40-volume set, and it's a collection of the edited S talks of the Rebbe. There was a team of, of uh, transcribers who would transcribe after the Rebbe had spoken. They would talk, they would write up what the Rebbe had said on Shabbos or Yom Tov, and then they would further edit parts of these you know, hours-long talks into, you know, five, six-page essay on one particular topic that the Rebbe had spoken about. The Rebbe would edit it and add footnotes or add comments, and that is what is called the Lekutei Sichot. So this is from volume 26, and it goes according to the Parshas of the Week. So this comes from this week's Parsha, Bishalach, where we read about faith and trust in God through the story of the manna. Of course, also crossing of the sea, but particularly through the story of the mana. Why? Because in the story of the mana, we were told you're going to get your meal every day. Just trust. Trust that it's going to come tomorrow. And how do we see that? Because you weren't allowed to take more than what you needed. You weren't allowed to hoard any of the mana. You're supposed to get it into your head or get it into the Jewish people's collective mind. The idea that God provides. So let us begin this uh, sicha. It's in Yiddish, but you can see the English and Yiddish here on the screen. Some of it is in Hebrew because there's quotes from the Torah. Here it goes. Chapter 1, Aleph. It says in the Torah, the Torah is the precursor to the Shulchan Aruch, to the Code of Jewish Law. And the Torah says that it is good to say Parshat Haman, the section about the manna in the Torah, in this week's Parsha, Yed and Tog, every single day. Wow. And the reason for this is, it's explained in the Beit Yosef. Beit Yosef is the commentary of Rabbi Yosef Karo on the Torah. Rabbi Yosef Karo later writes a Shulchan Aruch. By the way, Rabbi Yosef Karo, the author of the Code of Jewish Law, the classic Code of Jewish Law, it's 1500s, he first wrote a commentary on the Rambam. The Rambam was, is one of the first to codify Jewish law. So Beis Yosef writes a commentary on the Rambam called Kesef Mishnah. 
Then he writes a commentary on the Tor, which was a later collection of Jewish law. The difference between the Tor and the Code of Jewish Law is the Tor has much longer explanations and, and reasons. And Rabbi Yosef Karo wrote his in a more concise manner, leaving out reasons and, and debates and so forth. He wanted it to be short enough for people to be able to review it, I think he said once a month, go through it every month. So, that all being said, the Beit Yosef, House of Joseph, Rabbi Yosef Karo, in his comment on the tour, says that the reason we have this is the reason that it's good to read the mana, the story of the mana, every single day, is in order that we should believe. Shiyamin, a person, the reader, will believe that all of his food, all of his sustenance comes to him by divine providence. So like this, if you just wake up in the morning and you have your coffee and you check your email and you go to work, you're not thinking that God is the provider. You're thinking you're the provider. You just got to meet the right people and send the right e- emails and you know, you'll be successful. But if you start off your day by reading the story of the mana, you're going to enforce the, the belief that we all have that really, where does our sustenance come from? It comes from God. Of course, we have to make the vessels to receive it, but it builds a foundation in our minds that really it's God who is the provider. Okay, that's the tour, and that is the Beis Yosef commentary on the tour. Now, we're going to go a couple of generations later to Rabbi Shneur Zalman, the founder of Chabad, who wrote a Shulchan Aruch as well. He also wrote a code of Jewish law. A couple uh, hundred years later, after the, the first code of Jewish law is written by Rabbi Yosef Karo, and what he does different is that he incorporates all of the reasons. And he also incorporates discussions that happened in those last few hundred years between the first Shulchan Aruch and his Shulchan Aruch. There were more discussions, the more debates. And so he includes all of that. And he has two versions of certain parts where he, he went back. So we have both. We have the first version called Madura Kama, the first one. And we have Madura Tinyana, which is a second version. So here... In this essay, the, the Rebbe is analyzing how the Alter Rebbe changed some words from how he described the effect of uh, reading about the mana. He describes it one way the first time around when he wrote his, his Code of Jewish Law. And then when he rewrote it, when he revised it, the revised edition, he changed it sub- in a subtle way. And this is what the Rebbe is examining here. What is the difference between the first way that he wrote it and there's a profound lesson in the difference between that and how he wrote it the second time around. So in the first time around, the Alter Rebbe writes, he cites the law from the Torah with the explanation of the Beit Yosef, and then he adds something from the Levush. He says, That's what happened with the man. God made sure everybody got their set portion of an Omer, Probably 2,000 calories. I think in Guantanamo they were getting 5,000 calories. As it is written, they counted the they measured the Omer. This is a verse in this week's Parsha. That the one who took more mana than an Omer. He didn't have more. Miraculously, he just didn't have more. The Hamamit, and if you took less, Lo he didn't have less. Everybody got the same. 
So that's how the Alter Rebbe presents it in this first version. However, in Madura Tinyana, Tinyana is the second one, Izer Mishane, he changes it. And instead of bringing, instead of citing the reason of the Beit Yosef and the Levush, he says something completely different. He says, Pashat Haman, the passage of the Man, is Liftoach, is to have trust by Hashem and God. That God gives bread He provides every man with his food for that day. Okay. What's the difference? So we already said this is different between emuna and bitachon. Belief in God and trust in God. And this seems to be the major difference here. Because in the first version he says, he, he quotes the Torah, who says, the belief that God provides. And then in the second version, he changes it to liftoach, which means to have trust. Trust. Even italicized it's here for us. So this is what we're going to first examine. What is the difference between belief and trust? We're going to skip to chapter 2 because we're limited on time. Chapter 2, one of the reasons, one of the differences between emunah, between faith in God, and trust in God is that faith in God is constant. What, f- what belief means, or faith, belief and faith, right, versus trust, belief and faith means that you know a certain thing. It's clear to you that this is how it is. And so it's something that you have constantly. It's If you have a belief, you always have that belief. Whether you're walking to the store, whether you're going to sleep, that belief is with you. Even when that belief doesn't have any practical application. For example, the belief that all, in our, in our situation, what we're talking about here, the belief that all of a person's sustenance comes to him from God... That's not that belief doesn't only exist within you while you're engaged in trying to earn a living. You have that constantly. It's always in your soul and in your mind. But when it comes to trusting in God, which what does it mean we trust in God? The zikirkeit, the certainty, and your full reliance on God that God is the one who is go, who's going to provide you. God will take care of you. Of course, you'll have to do what you need to do, but God is going to take care of you. That is a feeling that is awakened particularly when you have some need. When a person is busy with his work, he's trying to make a living, trying to make a buck. Is it by Teach Bashem? At that time, in that in that experience, he is trusting in God that God is going to bless you in all that you do, and that God is certainly going to bless your work in a way that will that you'll make a living. You'll earn a livelihood. Or, another example, if, God forbid, may heaven protect us, in a time of tzara, in a time of difficulty, where from, from the natural point of view, you don't see any hope. How are you going to be saved from this situation? So a person who has trust in God, he does not fall into any type of despair, God forbid, 
But where is his help going to come? He's confident. He's certain. He trusts in God. That God, who is the Balabait, God is the boss. With a capital B. God is the boss over Teva, over nature. And it's within God's power to change nature. God will certainly help him. As it says in, in the verse, King David says, My help will come from God, the creator of heaven and earth. In other words, the creator of heaven and earth, who created all of this, means he's the boss of it. He will provide for me, even though in nature of heaven and earth, it doesn't seem like there's any way for me to get out of this situation. And so I say, May I in Yavo Ezri, where's my help going to come from? The answer is, God, it comes from God who created heaven and earth. He's not limited to the laws of nature because he created it. So what's the difference between faith and trust? Faith is a general sense that a person has, not necessarily relevant to a particular situation, so it's constant. Whereas trust in God is something that comes into play when a person is facing some difficulty. Furthermore, the talking goof is Furthermore, bitachon, the trust in God, actually is what draws forth the salvation from God and provides and, and, and facilitates the fulfillment of your needs. It creates the vessel for God's blessing. And here the Rebbe in the brackets gets to a very fundamental idea about trust in God. And he says, Bitochin meintoch, bitochin means, bitachon, trust means, as a yid is beitech, a Jew believes, that God will provide for him bitoiv hanire vanigle. In other words, let me, let me uh, preface here. Some people believe that what does it mean to trust in God? Trust in God means that whatever will be, will be for the good. So I don't know what's going to happen. But because I trust in God, I know it's going to be good. Because whatever happens, that's good. The Rebbe says, no, that's not what bitachon means. That's not what trust in God means. Trust in God means that you believe that God is going, let's say, God forbid, there's an illness. Uh, God, uh, um, it's not, well, whatever happens, happens. I trust in God that, it's, that whatever happens is for the good. That's only afterwards. If God forbid, we, we hope for it doesn't happen. You say everything is for the good. But before, what is bitachon? What is trust? No, that it's going to be bitov hanire vahanigle. This was a phrase the Rebbe repeated a lot. That it should be good in a way that is clear. In other words, everything is for the good. But it's not always obvious. Trust in God means that it's going to be good in a, in a clear and obvious way. In other words, in addition to the idea that God knows what is best for, for the person, I trust that it's going to be good in a way that I can see. It doesn't require a philosophy class to figure out how it was good. Now the Rebbe asks a question. The fact that a person is, God forbid, heaven forfend, in a difficult situation, maybe it's because the person deserves it. Maybe he did something. He behaved in a way, nit which is not proper. Therefore, he deserves a punishment. So how do I know that God is going to save me and help me? Maybe I'm being punished because I'm not perfect. His boss, he says, what's the foundation? What, on what basis does he have this trust in God? And with an absolute trust, means he has no doubt 
he has no safek, he has no doubt, and he's completely ruik. He's completely, what's ruik? Calm, at rest. That God is going to provide for him in a, in, and do good to him in an obvious way. So the explanation is like this. That when we show our absolute trust in God. I'll give an example from a, a father and a, and a child. When the child trusts the parent. Right? Could be an annoying thing when the child is questioning the parent. Especially a father, the male ego could be very uh, easily offended. Well, you don't trust me. But on the other hand, when a kid puts their trust in the parent, there's a certain warmth in your heart that that, that that creates. So, of course, God is very different from us. But maybe that's a good metaphor for this idea that the fact that you trust in God. In other words, similarly with a kid, kids are not perfect either. Maybe they also deserve to be punished. And they're not they, they haven't been behaving hundred percent. But when they give that put that trust in the parent, that itself is rewarded. And so when we have this perfect trust in God, that God is going to provide for us in the most beautiful way, even though it doesn't seem to fit in, in nature, this itself, this trust itself elicits from on high from God that He should that he should act with us similarly, in a similar way, measure for measure. Not taking into account any other calculations, whether or not we are worthy of it. In other words, just as we are going beyond nature in a way, by putting our trust in God, and disregarding all natural uh, calculations, similarly God puts aside the, the natural calculations of whether we're deserving or not, and we're able to kind of bypass that whole um, mode of, of, of interaction and get to a place where we, we deserve um, the, the revealed good. Now, I should mention a caveat that trust in God doesn't work when a person is, is uh, disregarding God's rules. A person cannot break into a bank and say, I trust in God that I'm not going to get caught. And... In reward for his complete faith in God, he won't get caught. No, that's not true. You cannot get God's blessing engaged in a crime. But he, I'm giving an extreme example. But even a person is, um, you know, has done something wrong. Okay, that's what the Reb is talking about. He did something wrong. He thinks, oh, maybe I'm going to punish that. But if he's not holding on to that behavior, he's not continuing to engage in that behavior, and he's committing now to do God's will, then he can have the absolute complete faith that it's going to be good in a revealed way. Okay. Any questions or comments on what we said till now? Yeah, one thing that kind of struck me was, uh, so what you're saying is if you're going to break one of the commandments, that's not going to get you something. <laughs> thou right. shall not steal <laughs> right you might end up you know succeeding and there are people who who uh you know succeeded in robbing from a bank but eventually yeah. uh you know it caught up with them they're, they're not going to succeed their physical body may have succeeded them but their soul will pay the price something will pay the price right they'll have to 
Yeah, sometimes you know, sometimes huh? physically as well, right? You know, yeah, they'll they'll, uh, they'll steal from the bank, but the the partner will run off with the. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. It struck me a little bit funny on that, but uh, right, but it makes total sense. So you asked questions, so I chimed in. Sorry. There is a there is a. Uh, we are talking. Maybe let's take this one step further. So we're talking about somebody that did not follow the rule. But what if they actually uh, returned in teshuva after? Right. So they did. They did bury the consequence. Yeah. And as part of that, they also returned in teshuva. And and at that point in time, maybe you know, let's say ten years after, they they put bitachon or trust in God. Uh, maybe maybe the Yeshua, maybe the blessing would come to them. I don't know. Maybe they'll get a parole or. Right, right. Or, well, they, they do say change your thinking, change your life, right? You change your perspective. There's, you know, whatever the experience is you need, you can shift around how you get that experience, how you, in this case, repent for that or, or make amends or shift your thinking and your, uh, your persona around a different life, a different focus, right? And that allows you to you don't necessarily need to pay the quote unquote, pay the banker or pay the price or make amends in a one way. You could do it in another. It's got to happen. And in the Torah, there's different ways that people who have done things repent quite well. Right. And they've changed their life to do so. And there's other directions too. But anyway, so that, that was, that struck me. Anyway, too. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Shmuel. Gary, go ahead. It seems like there's a certain amount of um, efficiency and peace in knowing that you don't have to gather more than you need and you don't have to worry about tomorrow. You can, you have what you need today and you'll get what you need tomorrow. So that's a nice comforting feeling. Beautiful. Yeah. That's a big thing is, um, you know, you need to really, this is also from Tanya chapter 26. Chapter 26, Alter Rebbe starts off that life is a battle. Every day is a battle. Sometimes it could be a big battle. Should I rob the bank? Should I not rob the bank? I'm already inside. You know, sometimes, in other words, there's sometimes big moral questions that a person could encounter. Most people don't on an average day, but it happens from time to time, depending on your station. But on a smaller level, there's battles each day smaller battles between your godly soul and your animal soul of what are you going to do between your good inclination and your yitzhara the opposite of the good inclination and the altar rebbe uses the the metaphor of a boxing a wrestling match he says you got two guys in the in the in the in the ring and one you read the stats he is so much stronger than the other guy He's quicker. He's stronger. You assume he's going to win. But he doesn't win. Why? Because the other guy is on fire. He's got his mind is in the right place. He's got his coach who's been working on him, not just physically, but also the psychology of, of wrestling. He's in a good place. The other guy is lazy. He's tired. He's uh, heavy. And... He's not going to win. 
It's not the stronger one who will win. It's the one who is on. And the Alter Rebbe says, in order to be on in life, person to be on, first of all, realize you're not going to win the war with the Yetzirah, with the Nefesh of Bahamas, the animal soul, if you're not on. You could be the most brilliant guy in the world. You could be the strongest guy in the world. But if you're not on, if you're off or you're half on, you won't win. You won't win. The 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 the, uh, the is, is is stronger than you, but if you're on, you're gonna win. And then he says, "How do you how do you get on?" He says, "He says in this chapter he talks about what will what will turn you off, shut you off, and that is if you're worried about anything, if you're sad about anything, that is a killer. That is going to that is your kryptonite. Sadness or worry. If there's even a nidnud, if there's even a, a, a iota of sadness or worry, you're not on. You're not going to win. The other guy's going to win. Have you ever played speed chess? Blitz, a lot of chess metaphors. Blitz, um, you got to be on. People, you have to be hyper focused, and that's also in chess. You know the the big battles among the chess masters. Partially, that's also psychological. You know, some uh, chess players they intimidate the player. If you're you're gonna you're, you're going you're going to perform differently depending on your mental state. So this is what Alter Rebbe says, and and um, so Carrie, what you were saying before, that it creates a calmness. This approach creates a calmness. A bitachon creates a calmness. This also relates to not just having a better life, and you know you're gonna, your your cardiologist is going to be very proud of you when you come in after a year of doing bitachon and say, "Wow, do you stopped eating steak?" Say, "No, I started reading bitachon." Started doing bitachon, trust in God. So it's going to be good for your heart, but more importantly, it's going to be good for your spiritual self. You'll be able to win all those battles. It's going to be good for your for your score, for your record. So this is a, a, all very interesting. I'm going to go on with the next section. We're going a little overtime the, from our usual half-hour class. As is our custom, we don't like to keep anyone hostage. So if you need to go, don't feel don't feel uh, uncomfortable doing so. It's all part of the plan. But I'm going to jump into the second half. So now it turns into a forbringin. It's a forbringin. <laughs> okay, so we're going to understand this first with a piece from the Zohar. Oh yeah, I hope everyone is over forty here. Sean, I think you may have to log out. <laughs> I, I, I was going to try and sneak in alright we'll let you stay <laughs> so this is a piece from the Zohar on this week's Parsha and it's about the custom of a rabbi named Rabbi Yesa Sova Rabbi Yesa Sova, Sova the elder Rabbi Yesa the elder and in the, when the Zohar talks about the story of the mana, it cites this story what's the story? Rabbi Yesa Sava used to prepare his su'udah, his mir, 
b'chol yom, every day. But first, he would say, he would ask God for his sustenance. And this is what he would say. Lo natkin su'udita ad ditit malka. We will not prepare the meal until it will be given from the house of the king. The king being God. So there's an obvious question here. Since the food from with which he was going to prepare his meal, he already had it. He already had the tuna in the closet and the mayonnaise in the fridge. Shengeven Birushuto is already in his... He had it. What does he have to ask God to give him his, his meal? He already has it in his possession. It's already there. All he has to do is open the can and mix it. He had the food for that day. So what does it mean? What's the explanation that he's asking God to give him food? So the explanation is, it's known, the explanation of the Bachaya, Rabbeinu Bachaya. On the teaching that Yosef, Joseph, in Egypt, when he was in prison, he got punished. And what was his punishment? He had to stay in prison for another two years. Why? Because he asked the cupbearer of Pharaoh after Yosef had successfully interpreted his dream. He said, by the way, you're going to go free. Please mention me to Paro. Doesn't sound like a terrible thing, but it was. He was punished. He should have had the faith in God and not asked the Egyptian to help him. Now there's a famous question. Hold on a second. Aren't we supposed to do stuff to help God out into helping us? So what's wrong? So Rabbi Nobuchaya says, why was he punished? He says, God forbid that Yosef the Tzadik should put his faith, his trust, sorry, in the cupbearer. Only in God he should have put his trust. And that's what he did. Says Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar. So what's the problem? He and Yosef assumed that God provided this whole story of the cupbearer needing a dream interpretation in order that the miracle should be done and he should be saved from prison through him. So what's the problem? It's not that he was putting his faith in the Saramashkim. He understood that God is providing a vehicle for his rescue. So why was he punished? Because because he he was trying to create a vehicle for God's blessing, God's salvation through the cupbearer. And although that typically is what we're supposed to do, but there's an exception. That for the righteous, especially the righteous like Joseph, like Yosef, it's not appropriate for tzadikim like Joseph to seek some way for God don't, to help God out, so to speak. And therefore, he is punished because he, Yosef, uniquely, unlike the average person, should have had full trust in God that he's going to take care of everything without Yosef having to do anything. So, so the question is raised by the Tzemach Tzedek in Eirat that it's explained in Chovat HaLevavot. There's a book called Duties of the Heart. And there, there's a whole section all about trust in God called Shar Habitachon, the gate of trust. Many books have been written on it. 
translations and commentaries. The Rebbe used to encourage people to study that section of the duties of the heart. There he says that we're required, we're obligated to find ways to enable God's blessing, to, to contain God's blessings. So why is Yosef being punished? And so the Tzemel Tzedek explains that there are two levels of trust in God. Two manners and two levels. Basically, sometimes on one level, God's blessing comes through the channels of nature, through natural channels. It's called Mimali Kalami. However, when a person sees that the way God is relating to him is in a way of that is beyond nature, it's not going through the natural channels, but rather at a higher level, what's called Soyiv Kalalman. So when you see that's happening, that is a sign that what's required for you at that time is to have a higher level of trust in God, to completely rely on God in Gansen, that God is going to take care of it, God himself, and not to do anything at all, but just to have the trust in God that certainly God will help in some way. And God will create the, the, his own conduit for the blessing. And Yosef Atzadik, Joseph the righteous, who was always connected with that higher level of nature, I mean with that higher level, that's beyond nature, he should have behaved according to that higher level of trust. So these two levels exist also in the two ways, these two levels and then these two manners exist in also how you make a kli, how you make a vessel for God's blessing. Kli is a vessel, and this is a, the term that is used to create the conduit for God's blessing. So going to work is the keli, it's the vessel for earning a living. In the first level, which is the normal, that we are creating the natural channels for God's blessing, person makes the vessel. Why is he doing it? Because at that level, nature and the laws of nature have a tvisas makim. They have a certain standing. They are being given credence. And therefore, the person has to work within nature and find a vessel, a conduit within nature through which the blessing will come. Because God is operating in such a way that nature has credence. It's something that has to be dealt with. However, when you're dealing with the higher level of bitachon, the higher level of trust, where you're not supposed to do anything, in that level, the ways of nature just have no... Have no uh, they just don't exist. Uh, this reminds me of the famous stories of, of the great sage, Rabbi Hanina ben Doisa. Rabbi Hanina ben Doisa, I've told this story many times, that his daughter once was upset on Friday after the candle lighting, and he said, what's the problem? He says, oh, I, I poured vinegar. I got vinegar for the candles, and it won't light, obviously. So he said, what's the problem? The same God who said, who instituted that vinegar does not light and oil does light, he could decide that, that vinegar will also light. And sure enough, miraculously, 
She lit it, and the, can- and the candles, the flames burnt. Rabbi Chim Mendoza, he was at this higher level where, what do you mean nature? Why are you so impressed with nature? It's a creation of God. He can do it differently. And there's other stories with Rabbi Chim Mendoza where it's kind of a, it's not like a, you know, we're going to pray for a miracle and we're going to change nature. No, he was like, he was not impressed with nature at all. He was operating at that higher level where, why should nature have any credence? What, what, what leg does it have to stand on? So this is the higher level. So at this higher level, even when he has a conduit or a vessel in nature for his for his parnasa, for his for his sustenance, is So he, the, his his goal, his sustenance, did not become any closer to him because of the fact that he has sees a conduit. It's the same. It doesn't matter whether he has a conduit, doesn't have a conduit. The conduit doesn't bring make him feel any closer to his goal because he doesn't look at the conduit as as anything. Is God? God is going to take care of it. So the 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 natural thing itself means nothing to him. He what is what he sees, what he perceives, what's in his consciousness is that everything is coming from God. And so the conduit, he also sees it through that lens. What does he see when he sees the conduit? He sees what God is the, the part of what God is, is providing to him. It's all one and the same. And so this explains the custom of Rabbi Yesa Sava from the Zohar. That he would say, we're not going to prepare the meal until God will provide us the food. And we asked, he got the food, it's already there on the counter. So the answer is, Rabbi Yisus Sava was at that higher level. His level of bitachon, of trust in God, he saw in every action that it's not his action, but everything is a gift from God. And therefore, even when he had the food in his house, and all he has to do is take it and mix it in the bowl, he doesn't feel that this is his food, that he's taking from his food. Oh, I have it already. And getting it ready. No, he sees it as tisi of me be malka that God is providing it. It's being given from the house of the king. God is giving him the food right now, and therefore he has to ask for it from God. He has to ask God for his food, even though it's sitting right in front of him. Just as he would ask for God for food if he didn't have it in his house. Wow. Powerful, huh? Very. It, it's such a great lesson. Yeah. Let me let me read one more paragraph here. So, I know that you're thinking, well, so what does that have to do with me? Am I at the level of Rabbi Yisa Sava? So some of us, so not some of us, but some of you, I see are already at that level. That's great. But for some of us, we may not be at the level. The Rebbe addresses that. And he says, even though the behavior of Yesus Sava is not something that is that every person can emulate, it's not a davar hashaveh lechol nefesh. Nevertheless, f is kotzeyu v'shemitz menu. A taste of it. This is a, a phrase from the Alter Rebbe. 
a phrase, uh, a, a, a taste of it, is shayach. It's, it's, it's relevant to every single person. Every one of us can have a taste of that. At least at certain times. In other words, maybe that wouldn't be our constant or natural state, but we all can reach that level, or at least a taste of it, in special occasions. And the Rebbe continues and says, this is the difference between the weekdays and Shabbos. Ah! Throughout the six days of the week, when a, when a Jew is behaving, according to the Shulchan or the Code of Jewish Law, he's going to work, and he's, he's doing so the emuna he's doing he's, he's doing his business with honesty with others and he's busy so his level of bitachon is at that lower level where he's seeking the conduit we cannot demand of the jew during the week that he should raise himself up entirely above nature and be at the level of rabbi isa sava or rabbi chenina mendosa or the way yosef was supposed to be However, on Shabbos, Shabbos is Nita Yom Maisa. It's not a day of action. Ezekiel Yom Maisa. It's a day when the Jew is above work, not even supposed to think about work. So there must be at least at least a taste of this higher level of bitachon, of just awaiting God's kindness directly from God without. What does it say about Shabbos? All of your work is done. There's no, whatever you did on Friday, that's what you did. There's no, Shabbos is forbidden to worry. This is the difference between, we started off, the difference between Amuna and Bitochen. This is how Rebbe finishes it. Um, and why we actually read the, the story of the mana on Shabbos as well. Because as he explained, even at the higher level, there is a conduit. But how do you view the conduit? You view the conduit also as being under the um, it's part of the providence of God. And we will pause there and open it up to questions and comments. Or summations, reflections. Maybe a question. I don't know. Maybe a question. We, uh, a lot of us here are blessing before we eat. Yeah. Right. A Yeah. And after too. Right. And that's, uh, um, that is a little bit of, uh, you know, acceptance and recognition that this is food that we're eating is, you know, that's bitachon essentially. Right. Um, yeah, but right. the rabbi it, it basically it's still lower level than Shabbat. That's what you're saying, right? And when you, with a blessing, you're thanking God for it. You're recognizing that it comes from God. So you're right. It's a very important point that with the actual blessing, that's to reinforce that. That even though it's already I I paid for it, it's in my house, it's mine, but I'm thanking God for it. You're right. That is actually bringing out that point. And then when we bench afterwards and we say the blessing afterwards, also, again, hazanat olam kulo bituvo, that God is providing. Yeah, so, uh, so 
you know, benching, saying that prayer afterwards, especially if you focus on the words, it's a very powerful lesson in faith. Poteach et yadecha in the in the in the Sephardic and and the Chabad custom, we say it in the thing. Poteach et yadecha maspielachol chayatzon. Open your hand and provide every living being. So it's a great point that the blessings reinforce this idea. And the idea that Shabbos, Shabbos, we get to the higher level. Wow. Shabbos relates to the name of God, Yudke Vavke. Infinite name of, the name that, 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 that intimates God's infinity. As I heard from my brother when I was down in Long Beach, this was his Shabbos speech, Malta Rebbe. And the weekday is related to Elohim. Elohim is the divine name relating to creation of nature. Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, right? So what do we say in the Kiddush? What ch- changes when we get to Shabbos? Vayichal Elohim. Vayom What does that mean? The literal translation is Vayichal Elohim. So that God finished everything that he had done, and he had done right? On the seventh day, he was... But the question Alter Rebbe says, well, he didn't finish on the seventh day. He finished on the sixth. The seventh day is the day of rest. So why does it say, that he finished on the seventh, that Elokim finished on the seventh day? The answer is, Elokim Elokim is finished on the seventh day. It's not Elokim on, on Shabbat. It's, it's Yud Kivavke. It's the divine name of infinity that's shining on Shabbat. Elokim is the six days of the week. We're relating to to Elohim during the six days a week. On Shabbat, we are in the we're in the presence of Yudke Vavke. We're at that higher level that is beyond nature. We're getting a little taste of uh, of the real reality, right? You know, they say get real. Well, what is don't, real? Don't they say that you know in 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 Yudke Vabke, that's where it all happens. And you have to, and even in, a, in your day, that time to reflect, the time to Yudke Vabke, even within your day, is a time when it re, you re-energize, you get new ideas, because you're asking whatever it is you're asking for is... Yudke Vavke because it's infinite. Exactly. And Shabbos is a full Yudke, Yudke Vavke. It's the reflection, it's the prayer, it's the discussion, it's the learning, it's the sharing the meal, it's all of that infinite type of things all combined uh, that allow us to rise up. Exactly. Right. So throughout the week, we have little pockets of Yudke Vavke, what you're saying. You have Torah study, you have prayer. Shabbat, it's Full on, from sunset Friday till stars come out on Motzei Shabbat, you're in different zone. It's interesting. There's a custom. Many have the custom to wash and have bread. You know, wash our hands in a ritual manner for bread. For Motzei Shabbat, has to do with Mashiach, because a lot of be- of of the benching has to do with Mashiach. Mm. And the Shira Malot has to do with Mashiach, and Motzi Shabbat has to do with King David, and therefore related to Mashiach. 
it's called the Sudav David Malka Meshicha, the meal of Saturday night, Motzei Shabbat, post Shabbat meal. But I'm thinking now that it also has to do with faith, now that you trust, now that you're going back into the week, going yeah. back into that level, you need to reinforce your trust so that you're on. Rabbi, can I say one other thing that I, I, I a little bit disagree with, and I don't mean any disrespect by that, is there was a statement that said, uh, who was this great person you were quoting? Was it the Alter Rebbe? The Alter Rebbe said, or whoever was that could make the vinegar burn. Rabbi right? Hanina Ben Dosa. He was from the times of the Mishnah. Blessed soul. Uh, Rabbi Hanina Bendosa. Bendosa could do that and others can't. That can't part is the part I'm having an issue with because. No, he didn't say that, that others can't. He was okay. at that level. If anybody, yes. anybody could reach that level. Right. That's okay. That's, but it didn't seem to say it like that. That's why I stated that. Yeah. Because it ties into another reflection, which you guys probably all know, and maybe I'm stating the obvious, but. I just look at it as uh, that's an uh, that's an abnormality for the for him to be one of the few that can get to that level. When in the rest, we are striving for that. If you flip that on its head, and ninety nine point nine or whatever is doing that is able to reach that level, then isn't that Mashiach? Exactly. Except not 99, it's 100. Okay, 100%. When Mashiach comes, it'll be that way. We don't have to wait till everybody gets there. We're ready. We're ready at critical mass. But when it happens, it'll change perception. And we'll all be at the level of Rabbi Hanina Mendoza. Exactly and it's right. considered miracle right now. When right. that miracle becomes the norm. Exactly. Um, that's what's so beautiful. Very good. Okay. Sorry, stating I'm doing the stating the obvious thing That's again. Good. That's good. It's because I'm kind of a rookie, but <laughs> Rabbi, well, I'm going to ask also a rookie question. Okay. So, um, if how, it's how a, long can you be a rookie? I don't know. I'm getting. I guess that. we're all rookies. <laughs> I think the most important. Uh, you said it one time. The most important that every you take a step up. Right. From whichever level you are. We're all rookies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. So is there a difference in the levels? Let's say there's Elohim and there's, you say it in English, uh, Yud, K, Yud Kuf. Vav, Yud, yeah, instead Kuf. of saying hey, because we don't even want to spell out God's name. Yud, I, know, Yud, K, I, know, Lanky, I know, yeah. I know, but, but many times it's written as, as a Yud Yud. Right. And is that, uh, is that at the same level? or yeah, It's the same uh, thing. It's just a, a way of representing it's it. It's a way of uh, in, okay. in writing so no... without spelling it out. You don't want to spell it out. So that's Adonai, right? That's how it's pronounced. Okay. But yeah, we never pronounce it. But yeah. you, we don't even spell it out. That's why we're, you know, instead of saying Yud and He and Vav and He, we just, it's customary to say Yudke Vavke. Turn the He into a K. Thank you. Is Adonai the same sort of? It, yeah, with that we would just say Hashem to re to reference that name. Or okay. Ad, actually Adnai. I'm sorry, you would say Adnai because you don't want to pronounce it unless it's in the context of a blessing. So you would just say Ad, oh. Adnai. Okay. 
because you're not you know but, vowelizing it correctly, so it's kosher. Um, what I found fascinating is that if you go to the Shabbat Kiddush prayer, yeah, when you are just you know describing the Elohim, the actual blessing, yeah, Hashem, you know, right? Instead, you don't say you say Elohim, you say you right. Even you, more than that, you you elevate up. Yes, but even you elevate up, is it, you know, or you know, or Shabbat. Exactly, Yes, but even more than that, first of all, you just remember that you can also refer to it as Havaya. Mm-hmm. Havaya basically takes the letters Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey and switches them around to create Havaya. That's how usually it was. It was said in in uh, in Chabad, the Rebbe's Havaya. Havaya. Havaya Elokim, right? Which so, um, this is also from the Mimer, my brother was was sharing, that the first four words of the Kiddush on Friday night is what? Yom HaShishi Vayichulu HaShamayim. On the sixth day, etc. Why do we, Yom HaShishi, those two words, they're the last two words of a previous verse. So the Kiddush starts at the end of a verse, doesn't start at the beginning of a verse. And the reason for it is because it, the, those four words spell out God's name. The first letter of each of those four words spell out Yud Ke Vav Ke. Yom Hashishi Yud and He Vayichulu Hashamayim Vav and He. So, right with the Kiddush, we're announcing that with Shabbos, we're getting into Yud Ke Vav Ke mode and Vayichal Elokim Elokim. Which is Elohim basically is the concealment of God, right? It's God's power to conceal Himself. That's how creation happens through self-concealment. So Be'echal Elohim means that the concealment is removed. God's self-concealment is removed. That's what's happening on Shabbos. Well, wow, we went really over time. I hope we don't lose our license, our broadcasting you're feel, you're license. You're feeling it, Rabbi. You're feeling it. <laughs> it is a special. It is a special day, so we're at a higher level. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to seeing everybody for more Torah and more Hasidus.